Welcome, everybody, to a very special edition of EM Over Easy, and by very special edition, I mean a normal one, where the three of us are talking together about an awesome topic. Yay. We're all kind of remotely connected today, so it's a little different, but quite fun to look at these guys' faces on the uh, video chat. Today's awesome topic is going to be brought in by Andy, because he has been raving about this for the past week. And I'm excited to hear. So, Andy, what uh, what are we going to talk about today? So, yeah, thanks, Tanner. This is a topic I've been working on for a while. I'm putting together a talk for a future conference with Megitopia, which is a group that Drew and I both, uh, I guess, are now on the lecture circuit for. And it's one about consistent behavioral expectations. And so I came across this topic as an avid sports fan, which I think all of us are. Um, Drew and I both uh, are big Buckeye fans. Tanner's a big Boise State fan, and so what, it, as you're involved in college sports, sometimes you get the the occasional little like blog read from what the team's doing, and and a big thing that's now circling around in college sports is this idea of consistent behavioral expectations, and really the idea is is that you think about what do elite organizations, what makes them similar. So when I think of elite organizations, I think of things like Apple, Amazon, Nike. Um, Adidas. When you think in the sports realm, you can think of teams like as much as people don't want to say like this. You think of the Patriots. You think of the Yankees. You think of the Chicago Cubs. You think of the well, only the Chicago Cubs for the last couple of years. Otherwise, they've been really yeah. good at being consistently bad. So, I mean, unless that's the consistency you're going for, and then that's fine. That's coming from a Cubs fan, guys. All right, so maybe we'll keep the Cubs out of this idea of an elite organization, um, and then things like in college football, you think of Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma. Clemson, you know, this people that are consistently good. And then what makes elite performers elite as, as well? And when I was looking at a list here, again, a lot of them are sports icons, but then some of them aren't. Some of them are, are, are people that in parts and times and within their business life have just been consistently well. And so when I was kind of doing this deep dive, this, this equation kept popping up that I think all of us have read about before. And it's this equation that's used a lot in, uh, in sports psychology, and it's the E plus R equals O. So, uh, Drew and Tanner, is that something you guys have heard about before or something that you guys are at least somewhat knowledgeable about? Yeah, absolutely. I've actually never heard of that specific equation. No, you did, Tanner. We, we just released an episode where uh, the illustrious Travis Ulmer brought up E plus R equals O uh, when we were on the, uh, the What's Next episode. So, you've been introduced to it. So he, he, and I know you he, listened he to it. definitely teased it. But yeah. besides that, I have not heard of it. <laughs> ah, okay. So, this was actually introduced to me about two years ago, and it's something that I think bef- I bought into this idea before, but never really bought into it in this specific context. And so for those of you that don't know, we'll put some links in the show notes so you can go get some further reading on it. But the idea is, is that E is an event, um, plus R, which is a reaction or a response, and then O is an outcome. And so it, it really kind of focuses on the idea that top performers, both in business and in, in professional lives and even in, in the way we clinically practice, they spend a lot of time working on the R or their response. And I think this is really pertinent to us in emergency medicine, really medicine as a whole, because we cannot control what patients come to us. We can't control who, who comes through the, the triage bay, who calls 911, who has a heart attack, who needs surgery. Like Those are things we can't control. But we have this persistent O that we strive for. And that's a good outcome. And so I think as providers, we spend a lot of time, whether we like it or not, spending time on the, on the response if we want a consistent outcome. And when I was looking at this, I thought a lot about how, you know, things like ATLS, PALS, ACLS, whether, you know, they're the merit badge courses, but whether we like it or not, they spend a lot of time on the idea that here's an event, here's a consistent response so we can get a consistent outcome. And so... Again, something I think we've all bought into before, but the idea that we have a lot of control over the response, I think, is something that we can use in our personal lives, I think, to make us better, both as providers and as people. That's 
really interesting uh, topic in, in general just because uh, truly you, you look across the board in a lot of different areas for how we react to various things. And it's, it's, it's very uh, apparent that the people who understand that they can't control everything and are okay with rolling with the punches a little bit per se – typically do better in life in terms of wellness and feeling okay about themselves and how things are going because they know they can't control everything. Um, now, in terms of standardizing, though, m- like those uh, Merit Badge courses, ATLS PALS, I could see where there is a benefit to controlling various things to try to create a standardized outcome. So uh, this, is, this is an interesting topic. I think there's a lot of depth here. Totally agree. And, and I, I like the idea of, especially for us as emergency medicine providers, and we've talked about this a lot on other episodes in different manners, but we have to control our response to any situation, whether that's what's coming through the door. Um, you know, for example, last night when I got a text message from Andy and uh, the other person working at the, uh, the shop that I was about to head into the night shift, two, three hours for my night shift saying, hey, there's 26 people in the waiting room. Uh, we're going to stay late. If you want to come in early, that'd be fantastic. And I can't control that that event, right? Uh, the waiting room has already happened. The ED is what it is. I have uh, co-providers that are willing to help out. So what can I do as my response, which is to text back saying, hey, no worries. It is what it is. I'll be in as soon as I can. I got to get my kids to bed because that's uh, important to me. And then I'm going to be there 45 minutes an hour early and I'm going to do my part to to clean up um, as much as we can together, get you guys out at a reasonable hour and um, hopefully have my night not be a, as miserable as the afternoon had gone for the providers I'm leaving. Alternatively, I could have been pissed and, you know, thrown something across the room and then uh, my kid's upset and the, the bedtime process stinks. And then I have a 45 minute drive and I'm angry and I get to the ED and, you know, the, the outcome would have been drastically different. The, the outcome I had was three providers that were happy to work together that were uh, goal oriented in cleaning up the ED. And by 4am I was sitting pretty. I, I had a uh, dispo on everybody on the board and I had nobody in the waiting room. And uh, it was a busy night, but it was all good. Um, nobody was, I was not frazzled. My nurses weren't frazzled. And just imagine if my uh, response, the R in the situation, had been the opposite of that, uh, how my night would have gone. And that's just one example. And you can, uh, you know, put, apply that to just about anything that we do in emergency medicine. Well, and you can even look at how your outcome or your response for you created a good outcome for you personally. But your response to that situation also created a better outcome for everyone else at the ER that hears that response. Right. They now have a positive feeling knowing that the, the relief, the provider, the person who's going to come in is a positive, uh, positive response to this scenario. So then they're not going to worry about you coming in and causing a storm, a stink and, and making, <clears throat> making everyone else's life miserable even more so than what it already is. Uh, they're, they're anticipating you coming in with a smile and, and they're happy to see you because you're here to work and, and, and be good time. So that's, uh, that's, that's awesome how it goes both yeah, ways. And I think it's key because I think you brought up the – we've kind of touched around this idea in a lot of our previous episodes in Clinical Grinds and in, in other deep dives. And I think it's important that when I was looking at this from a personal standpoint, any time in my life that I've struggled with something, it's because I was spending a lot of time on the thing I couldn't control, which is the event. And it was, how do I prepare to where this only, like, you know, how do I make it to where this event isn't as bad? And really the solution was there is to make my response better. And I think it's key both, you know, in, when, when we're working at work, uh, this, this can translate into your home life. It can translate into your professional life. It can translate into the way you interact with siblings and with family members and, and other colleagues to where if you really focus on the, f- the fact that response is yours, you have complete control over the response, whether it's good, bad, ugly. And I think as Tanner said, it, it translates not only to your immediate sphere, 
but also to the sphere of people around you that then they buy into the idea that it's not the event's fault that the outcome was bad, that it's the response's fault that the outcome was bad. So I think about this a little bit uh, the same way I think about meditation, which is something I've started to get into a little bit. I've been doing more yoga. Uh, I've been doing uh, some meditation. There's an app uh, I'm using now called Mindspace. I don't support any single app. I've just given it a shot, and, and I've liked it. And it's the thought that as soon as you feel yourself drifting somewhere else, those outside thoughts are coming in. And in this situation, the bad response is is percolating in. you got to find a way to shut it out again, to, to close that loop and to get back to where you're supposed to be. And sometimes that is taking a moment of meditation just to go, okay, why, why am I responding the way I'm responding? And, and how can I change that response? Or sometimes it's simply just saying, you know what, that's the wrong response. Um, you know, during residency and even at times now as attendings, I'm, I'm sure we all, everybody asks this question, you know, at two in the morning when the, the sniffle comes in and it's been a busy night, you're like, why in the heck is this patient coming to the ED? And you're angry about it. Well, that's the wrong response, right? Because like we've already talked about, you can't control that, that event. And you just need to reset yourself and say, okay, that's fine. And if the question is, why are they coming to the ED? Because I need to figure out how I'm going to treat them properly. That's a perfectly fine question to ask yourself. But if you're asking it in a negative manner, you can't. And I think that idea that meditation has, which is to control the thoughts that you're having, to be able to clear the mechanism, as, as I've mentioned many times on previous episodes, and to almost kind of give yourself that blank slate and that relaxation and total control of your body for just a few minutes helps you respond properly to these situations. We can get into, and I'm sure we're going to start diving into higher stress situations and how we, how we handle that, but I, I think that's so important. It's that same concept of meditation, yoga. I'm sounding totally hipster right now, and, and maybe I'm becoming a, a yogi hipster, but, but I think it really helps. Hey, Drew, it's okay. I do, I do yoga occasionally as well, and I like it. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I don't, I don't know the, the app that you use. I use the 7-Minute Yoga app, but also do yoga on a pretty consistent basis. Well, no, 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 no. I, I mean, uh, yoga and, and uh, meditation is different things. So Mindspace is a meditation app, uh, and then uh, we can get into one of my favorite yoga uh, videos on, on YouTube, but that's a whole other story. I have resisted thus far buying anything from Lululemon, though, just to be clear. I do not own any of that. I was going to say, what, uh, what kind of yoga <laughs> pants are you wearing, man? Yeah, they look good, though. I mean, my, my, mm-hmm. You going tight or, or loose? Uh, you know, in between. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. <laughs> so to kind of get back... I, pr- I prefer the shorts. <laughs> so to kind of get back on topic, I think Drew brought up a, a, a kind of led into this well. So I think the big part is how do we establish the R or the idea that the response is ours in our lives. And I think Drew brought up a really point is it's you have to get a little bit introspective. You have to really have an honest conversation with yourself, um, an honest look back at previous encounters where maybe your response was poor or inappropriate, or, or over the top, or whatever um, negative connotation you want to put it with it. And you just have to kind of buy in. And I think that that's super key. And what do you think are some ways, I know Drew brought up, he, he uses meditation. Tanner, what are, what are some ways you think you could get buy-in for this idea? To get buy-in, I, I mean, I, th- I feel like this is something that is is just one of those those personal things where you realize it as it happens. So if you are constantly always in a bad mood, and everything in the world is against you, you're going to feel like crap most of the time. And when you come in with something that's positive, so for instance, you have a an initial gut reaction that it's going to be okay no matter what, you re- internally notice that around you everything else appears to be better and in a, in a more positive light. So I think this is one of those things that you just have to naturally notice it. For people who struggle with naturally noticing it, then that's where you have to take a little more probably active approach and say, hey, I typically don't have a good outcome when I do this. Maybe I should just 
experiment and try some of this stuff like Drew was saying, even with like a meditation app, me with some trying out some yoga, different things that can see how that affects your personal outlook and how you respond to various scenarios and situations. Yeah. And I was, as I was kind of making a list, I was actually, we've been really fortunate to have some pretty awesome people on the podcast to where I was actually just able to go back and listen to some of our previous episodes, the likes of KK Moody and Stephanie Davis and Salim Rezai. And the list could go on and on of people who just talked about how they found their thing that helps them kind of reset and brings the idea that the response is, is kind of back to them and they became a believer. And I think part of it is, is that, so we get buy-in and then you have to do the work because this is not something that's going to stay constant all the time. It's like any other muscle memory or um, any other workout, you're going to have to do it consistently to make sure that it stays, stays solvent and that you, that you keep it, keep it in front of you. And I think part of it is, is that you have to study about it. I think this is something where there's a lot of different books. I think all of us could pick a book that kind of opened our eyes to, to at least an idea of self-reflection and of um, being honest with ourselves. And I think each of us could probably put one of those in the show notes. I've got three or four, and there's a bunch of them out there. You have to pick the one that works for you. And then you have to go back to some of the things we talked about in previous episodes is you have to prepare. And I think one of the best ways you can, we can prepare was an episode we had with Jeff Comp where he talked a lot about visualization. And I think that's where something like what Drew does with our residents is he, you know, simulation is great for this, where you can have an event that you can't control at all. And then you can have a response and then meter that response to an outcome. Yeah, and, and something we talk about in, when I'm doing simulation all the time, especially with our younger, uh, our younger learners and even students as they come in and they, they find themselves in a situation they haven't been in before, doing a procedure they haven't done before. And you talk about visualization and preparing. It, there's a lot of procedures in emergency medicine that maybe in your first couple years of training or even, maybe even your first couple years out you haven't done before. Not everybody's flirted a pacemaker or had the chance to do that on a, on a patient um, in, in their training. Maybe you haven't done a uh, chest tube thoracotomy, uh, thoracotomy in a while. Um, you've never, I've never done a uh, stat C-section, perimortem C-section in the emergency department, but, but that doesn't mean that you haven't practiced doing it, right? That you haven't thought about the process and done that visualization technique, which is as good as actually doing it if you look at the literature, that you can actually convince yourself and build a muscle memory on a technique that you've never actually performed by visualizing and going through the steps and the process that you're going to do. And that's something that when I was in training, even today, uh, as, a, as an attending either on my own or when I'm supervising residents, that I still do sometimes. I haven't done, you know, something will randomly come into my head. I haven't done this procedure in a while. Let me walk through the steps of doing it. Let me just make sure that I remember how to do this procedure properly. Close your eyes. It's almost like a meditation technique, but a focused meditation on a specific event or a specific uh, procedure. And then you go through it a couple times in your head. You outline the techniques. You say out loud what you're doing and almost go through the hand motions. And then it's almost as though you've done the procedure and you feel comfortable with the concept that I am going to be able to perform this when I need to. So I think that preparation and visualization kind of comes together. And then that gives you the confidence when it's actually time to respond to an event that you have that response ready to go because you've actually practiced your response. And that's so important in our practice of emergency medicine is to be able to know what your response is going to be. That was perfect. I, I don't really think I can add much to that because that, that kind of generalizes the concept that we're going for here. Study, prepare, visualize, execute. And, and I think probably the, the last thing that I, I, at least I like to do for myself is um, this idea. We talk, we've talked about cognitive burden in the past. And I think the idea is, is that I make some decisions about how I'm going to act in the future now. That way when it comes, I just do it. And, and I think that goes along with procedures that we do. It goes along with conversations I have with specialists. You know, whenever I go into work, I, I, 
I used to not, but now I actually do because I feel it helps me better talk to specialists on the phone. I actually run the list and say, all right, if I have to call cardiology today, I'm talking to this person. If I have to call general surgery today, kind of go down the list to where I have previous conversations with that person. I know how they're going to want the presentation done. And then I know going forward that when I talk to them, this is how I'm going to act on the phone because I know that's how it's going to make it what's best for the patient happen in the quickest amount of time rather than me kind of fumbling trying to do it from beginning. So I think the idea of offloading small decisions, not big ones, but small things in your shift make it easier to where your response can be more consistent. You know, there's uh, kind of a similar thought process and and there's a talk a lot about our response to things and there's system one and system two thinking. And there's actually a great segment on the September MRAP, our friends at MRAP, and uh, off of an article in the Annals of Emergency Medicine from April of this year, 2018, where they're talking about uh, getting into the mindset of a trauma surgeon. And they talk a little bit about system one, system two thinking, and something that's been covered multiple times. System one is that uh, unconscious uh, recognition is your gestalt, and then and then system two is your analytical thought process, and they feed off of each other. So too much of one system or the other is bad, right? System one, if that's all you're operating on, uh, you're never checking yourself. You're just it, it's flying by the seat of your pants completely. System two, uh, and I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. It's like the constant internal medicine mindset, right? Like you can't fly by the seat of your pants at all. You're just having to analyze everything they're actually doing. And I don't really believe that about our internal medicine colleagues, but that's a, a great example. But when you balance the two out, and Andy, that's kind of what you're talking about, where you're, you're building yourself a uh, way to rely on your system one thinking better. So when that situation comes in, system one isn't purely gestalt and unconsciousness. You've actually educated your unconsciousness and your gestalt to be prepared for that situation. So you're building system two to support system one, because system one is what we're actually going to act on, but system two is what's going to make us respond to the situation properly. And the example they use is your hypotensive tachycardic trauma patient. And, and what, what do we do immediately? We want to give fluid. Right. And that's fine. And that might be the appropriate response. But system two is going to say, hey, what else could be going on? Is there attention in thorax? Is there some other thing that I need to assess and do? Or have I given too much fluid already where I need to get, you know, blood products, balance resuscitation, whatever. And, and being able to balance those two things out even before that event happens is a great way to mitigate your response. So I, I guess the question is, I think we've brought it together. You know, the, the idea that E plus R equals O. And again, the idea that we have consistent outcomes we want to go after. You can decide what those are in your personal life, but professionally they're out there. And then how do you focus on the R? I think we've done a good job um, reviewing what those are. And again, we'll have some links in the show notes. So I guess the question is, guys, do you guys buy this idea of that we control the response? I absolutely buy this uh, 100%. And I, I've been accused by various people at various shops that I may be too positive at times. And I, I do feel that I could work on being a little less positive occasionally, but in general, I do feel that I enjoy myself better at work and in life because I am positive. I have a typical, a positive outlook that I know I can't control everything, but I can do the best with what I got. And that's, that's all I can do with it. And when I compare that to some of my fellow coworkers, friends that are maybe say a little more pessimistic, negative outlook on life, they just seem so much more miserable majority of the time than I do. And, and so to me, that is the exact example of what makes this true. Because I know I can't control everything, but things just seem to work out better in the end. And, and I enjoy life versus some other people that seem to be complaining all the time and everything in their entire world is the worst day ever. I mean, it's, it's kind of that office space thing. Every day is the worst day of their life. That's terrible. And you look at the end when he no longer has any sort of uh, cares about, you know, I can't control this. I just want to do something that's going to make me feel better. 
boom, he all of a sudden has a great life. I couldn't agree more. I mean, this is the equation of um, something that I think I was taught by my parents and that I truly believe in is the only thing you control is yourself. Right. And so if you're in control of you and you are responding properly to situations, then that's all you can do. Right. I, I don't always know what the, the outcome is going to be, uh, even if I have a perfect response. And, and certainly I can't control the events that are coming in. But, man, if I can just control myself, then I'm doing the best I can do. And, and that's all we can ask for. Right. Is to, to do our best. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate appreciate you guys letting me bring this to the microphone into the to the show, and hopefully this edits well, so all the listeners will enjoy um, what we talk about it. So, for those of you that, that again want more information, we will put some links into the show notes so you guys can do some deep dives if you feel like this is something you need to work on. And again, we'll also link some other talks that have kind of talked around this in terms of our previous podcasts. So, until next time, guys, don't forget to follow us on our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, as well on your favorite podcasting app. You know, when you're going to do that, you have to be more consistent with your countdown. I should count to three. Yeah, really, if you're going to count down, like, it should be consistent. Ca- like ca- cadence, cadence, cadence. Three, two, one. Not three, two, one. Two, one. All right, guys, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm, I, I'm, I didn't work at NASA in the countdown department. Thou, thou shalt count to three without proceeding to four. <laughs> thou shalt not count <laughs> oh, wow. to two without proceeding to three. All right. This is why we need to hang out more in real life. Keep going. <laughs> Did you just? <laughs> the knights who say me, me. Oh man! And I would like you to bring me a shrubbery. Shrubbery.